Trip Alpin, Tim Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Monday appearance, making his weekly Monday appearance, is the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. And what follows, as he does every Monday, or as he does most Mondays, Dave Cameron analyzes all baseball. Last week saw Dave Cameron release his trade value series, in which he ranks from number 50 down to number one, 50 active professional baseballers according to their trade value. It is a matter both rich and compelling, and which serves to inform almost the entire conversation that follows. There's also a brief mention of James Shields of the Kansas City Royals and how Dave Cameron thinks he should be traded. Moreover, uh, anyone who listens to what follows will be rewarded uh, will be rewarded by learning the context for this comment by Dave Cameron. People hated it, and the response was generally like, this is the worst thing ever, you've ruined our lives. It is Fangraphs Audio. It does feature managing editor Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. Yeah, I don't think anyone calls me Davey and then uses my last name. Well, here it is. The big <laughs> unveil. Yeah, I think that will probably be the last time anyone does that. Okay. Are you asking me not to call you that? No, it just sounds because like JD, I think, has some kind of familiarity attached to it. Yeah. So there, therefore, you don't need to use a person's last name if right. you're familiar enough to use a nickname. Okay, that's good information. Yeah. What do you? Uh, oh, <clears throat> uh, big announcement, Dave Cameron. Uh, you have. Uh, you're aware of this. You've guided me. Uh, over a number of these episodes of the podcast, you've guided me through the process of uh, both identifying a car for purchase and then actually purchasing said car. You bought a car. I bought a car. You bought a Honda Fit. I did not buy a Honda Fit. You bought something even smaller. Uh, Similar size. Yes. Okay. I bought uh, a Nissan Versa Note. Oh, how do you like it? I like it a lot. Good. I do. I like it a lot. We, uh, we, you know, we had sort of narrowed it down to... A number of uh, possible vehicles, and then yeah. test drove them, and you know tried to get a sense of what we could get them for. And do you, uh, do, did you know the Versa is the cheapest new car in America? Like, I believe the, it is. Yeah, the or, very cheapest. Yeah. Well, I think. Well, so there's the Mitsubishi Mirage as well. Yeah, I think the Versa is even cheaper. Well, regardless of that, we got a we got a good deal on it because uh, yeah. it's a 2014, so we yeah. had some. There were some incentives attached to it. Right. And then I also did I did a little bit of haggling, Dave Cameron. Oh, nice. Yeah. Did you get them to uh, like throw in like floor mats? We yeah, I think we might have gotten floor mats. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Good. and keys. They give us keys with yeah. it. Well, I think that's standard. We didn't have to pay the extra for, the, <laughs> for, for Nissan's key package. Oh yeah, the uh, my, so my wife has a Nissan Rogue. Okay. And yeah. We she has the like you, is the key you don't have to take out of your pocket. You just hit the button on the side of the car. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we do not have that. No, no. Oh, you don't have that. No, no, no. We don't have that. Well, I thought you were talking about Nissan's keys. I thought that's what you were talking about. No, no, but I'm saying we did get keys with the car. <laughs> like you, you can put them in the ignition. And yeah, you, well, you put them in the door. You put them in the ignition. There's even a hatch, a hatch area that nice. we can use. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And uh, listen to this. <laughs> oh, there we are. Yeah, listen to that, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, Liberty's very excited for you. Or, or she's excited about her friend Macy who's walking across the street. Oh, that's excellent. Is Macy... Gonna come over, or is, she, or is Macy doing yeah. her own thing so, right now? So Macy was Macy was like one of Liberty's best friends when she was really small, but Macy's a Bichon and weighs about five pounds. Oh yeah. And so they played really well together until Liberty got big, and now they don't bring her over to play with me. It could it could be uh, 
it could be dangerous. No, I mean, like occasionally, like Liberty will still like see her on a walk or something, and they'll just kind of roll around together. But uh, you know, Liberty can certainly squish her like a bug. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Oh, so listen, I, I'm currently at my, I'm visiting my mother in a, a bit, uh, up near Belfast, Maine. Oh, and uh, yeah, when we are drove... you going to stop traveling? Mm, pretty soon. We didn't, we can't move into our place until August 9th. Oh, so you're yeah. homeless still. A little bit on the homeless side of things, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, drove up here, got 43 miles per gallon, Dave. Nice. It's great. Love yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm it's like a it. Prius without having to own a Prius. Exactly right. Yeah, it's a good uh, – yeah, it's good. Yeah. Uh, I would uh, – you know, I mean, everyone has different needs. I would say for our needs, this is uh, – I feel like it's the it's a great vehicle. Good. Well, I'm glad you are happy with your purchase. Right. And I will say, like, uh, my wife's Nissan, we have also been pleased with. We, you know, when I was doing research for her car a couple of years ago, I, uh, found Nissan to be one of the better value, uh, investments in terms of, uh, you know, bang for your buck. Right. And I, it seems as though they haven't constructed any cars recently which have, uh, begun, um, accelerating against the right. driver's will. Yeah, I think the nice thing is that you didn't buy a GM, so there's a chance you will live. <laughs> Okay. Um, not all opinions expressed in this podcast are those that reflect the host. Some of them are those of the guest in this case. Yeah. No GM, to... stop making death traps. That is the opinion of Dave Cameron. Well, that's always a good opinion. Uh, um, so, uh, but that's – anyway, you've uh, you've led me through that process. And now it's on to, buy, uh, to purchasing a dog. That's our next uh, thing. But we won't be able to do that until we actually have a place to live. Right, yeah. yeah. It'd, be, it'd be tough to have a dog and be homeless. Although I think you get better uh, uh, donations. I don't know what they're called. Uh, if you're sitting on the side of the road with a sign and you have a dog, I think oh, you right. get more money. Yeah, yeah. People would be likely to do it, yeah. I, was actually, I bet if you put Callie out there with a yeah, sign, yeah. you get a lot of money. We get, Yeah, we do pretty well then. If it was yeah. me, they, people would, they would, <laughs> they would arrest me. <laughs> yeah, right. They'd be like, you go to jail, we'll take her and the dog. <laughs> the... Um, I was actually comparing this, and in, in, this might fit into – this borrows from perhaps the same sort of methodology that might go into uh, the, constructing the trade value series, which we'll address. But I was thinking of the differences and the similarities between the process of attempting to acquire a car and acquire a dog. Um, and there's there's some overlap, I think, because there's a – you can get a uh, you can get a new car in a, in a used car. <laughs> you, you can get a used dog. You can get a used I dog. Think, I don't think that's how they generally refer to them. Gen- well, some of them are gently used, and some of them some of them uh, yeah. they have Michael, their problems. Michael Vick used, maybe. right? Yeah, right. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, that's uh, some yeah. Some of them come with quite a bit in the way of baggage. Uh, um, but of course, I, the, the, the one other thing that's different is you know you can you can rescue you can rescue a car. Or no, sorry, no, that's the opposite. You can rescue a dog. I mean, I don't know whether you're really rescuing it or not. In some cases, I suppose you are. But there's no such – I don't know if there's like a moral – there's no like moral good I th- pretty much associated with purchasing a used car, unless maybe I'm one I'm missing. I, I think like there's a, a niche industry of people who restore old cars, who find like rusted out cars from the 60s and 70s and bring them back to life. Yeah. And I think they would think that they're rescuing those cars from salvage or – you know, being crushed or something. Right, but there are uh, there are other similarities. Of course, there's quite you know the question of size and, and finances and uh, yeah, yeah some, well, and how, how far are you willing to go to test drive one? 
Yeah. Pretty much all dogs are expensive. I think, like, the larger breeds are more expensive, but you're not going to get a cheap dog. They, they, those don't exist. You mean in terms of maintenance or in terms of oh, upfront yeah. costs? Oh, yeah. Like, they're, they're all just very – I mean, so upfront costs are very low. You shouldn't – I mean, unless you're going to go to a puppy mill, which I will yell at you for if you do, mm-hmm. uh, you shouldn't spend more than a couple hundred dollars probably. But right. maintenance, uh, those things are pricey. Yeah. I guess at how much – I guess it's a question of how much you're willing to invest uh, as well. Because I know, um, so my dad, whom I love, of course, uh, whenever, when he's had a dog before, they would be like, this dog needs this surgery. And he's like, may, he's like, hmm, maybe not. How about? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so that's usually what happens. Yeah. When my wife and I, uh, were dating, she grew up with a cocker spaniel and it was at the end of its life. And I think it was living with her parents at the time, as was she. And, uh, I think in the course of a year, they spent seven or eight thousand dollars on surgeries to keep this dog alive for less than a year. Yeah, that's a lot. And that's quite a bit. Being the callous, uh, calculating math guy that I am, I attempted to make the argument that they should not spend this money and just put it down, which did not endear my future wife to me, and almost ended in her not being my future wife. Yeah. Yeah, but it is true. It's uh, and of course, what what condition is the dog in at that point? Yeah, I mean, the dog was happy enough, but I think you know, just from an economic standpoint, you can make an argument that eight thousand dollars for a year of a dog's life and companionship is maybe a cost that some people can't afford. Certainly, yeah, certainly. So, so I will not judge your dad for no. deciding that surgery might be optional in some mm-hmm. cases. Right, uh, Dave Cameron, you have completed another trade value series. I have. Um, I think probably every year there's a slightly different, you know, you either it's informed, you, you either have developed a slightly different format or you have, um, you have, you know, maybe you altered your methodology slightly. I'm curious though, you've finished it now. Uh, do you have any sort of general reflections on the process, you know, in particular relative to years past? Well, I think my new format this year was woundly rejected. Uh, soundly? Soundly Round, rejected. Roundly. R- roundly? Soundly? Round, well, uh, soundly maybe, yeah. Soundly would also work. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, uh, thrown back in my face with a, we don't want this. Uh, so, are you, you talking know, about uh, just doing one a day or are you talking no, about? No, no, doing the, uh, kind of article style. So, oh, like, yeah. Monday and Tuesday, I'm assuming you didn't read any of the pieces. No, no, I did, <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, so Monday and Tuesday I tried something new of like, rather than doing the list format with a blurb after each player, kind of telling the story about all ten of the players on the list and trying to say these players are similar and, you know, kind of basically just showing the list and then writing an article about it. Uh, which, you know, people read my articles anyway, uh, or at least some of them do. And so I didn't think it would be all that different. We just have some data up front. People hated it. And the response was generally like, this is the worst thing ever. You've ruined our lives. We will oh, not yeah. read this. Yeah. And uh, so I think I learned that maybe I need to stop tinkering. People like the trade value list the way it is, and, and change is not appreciated. Now, here, here's a question, because sometimes people react uh, – uh, negatively to something merely because it has changed because they were used to the old style. But even if in the long run maybe they will uh, come back to it and say, oh, you know, uh, ultimately uh, this new format is probably superior. Do you have a sense that this was a case of the of the, the former or the latter? I think it was probably the f- former. I don't I don't think people would have come around. <laughs> so I tried to engage a few people on Monday and Tuesday when they were offering their critiques, saying like, you know. Just because it's not in blurb format anymore, like, you know, what people used to do and what they wanted to do was ignore all of the text except for the paragraph or three about 
the player that they were interested in. All right. So they would just scroll and be like, oh, I care about this player, and then they would read his entry and not any of the entries around it. They would lose all the context for why that player was ranked where he was and commentary I would make about kind of that general area of the list, and they would only read, you know, 200 words about one player. Uh, so I was trying to make them read a 1,000 words about all the players, or 1,500 words, or whatever it was, uh, and give them a greater understanding of that entire section of the list, Yeah. which people did not want to do. They made it very clear. They did not want to read 1,500 words. They wanted to read 200 words. And so I tried to say, you could use Control-F on your keyboard and type in the name of the player you want to read about, and your browser will take you to just that paragraph, and then you can still just read the section about yeah. that player. And they said... That's too much work. I will not do that either. I'm not going to read any of this now because I can't just scroll down wow. in list format. And I said, well, that's sad. Yeah. I well, you're learning to report in BuzzFeed and they've ruined the Internet. Yeah. Well, well, or I, um, if people's curiosity, people, the way people – I mean, I'm guilty of it too. It's nice. It's I, easy to digest. I, I mean, I totally understand where they're coming from, and that's why I changed it back. I wasn't going to take, like, the moral high ground and be like, you must read all of my words. Uh, I think that this is just where our culture has gone. If we have a very short attention span. We want to read the thing we want to read, and we don't want any interference. And, you know, the Internet has largely removed barriers to entry right. uh, to get information. And so now when someone puts a barrier in our way, we get annoyed. Yeah. Well, all right. So that's that's a question of form. So that's that's your takeaway. Uh, Mike Trout is number one, which is probably not surprising. Um, yeah. I guess what right. So the problem with Mike Trout, right, is is that one ought to be constantly amazed by him. Um, but it's diff, it's he's he's making it difficult to be constantly amazed by him because of how con, consistently he's performing at this level. Yeah, he's getting better. Which I you know I remember a couple of years ago, like when he first came up. Uh, and you were extolling his virtues, hmm. I repeatedly, and for the next several years, have argued that he can't get any better. He's as good as he can get. There is nowhere to go from here. Uh, defense only, you know, declines pretty early in his career, so he's probably not going to be the best defensive center fielder in baseball forever, which is a thing is borne out. He's probably declined somewhat defensively, but he's more than made up for that by even hitting for more power and drawing more walks, and uh, he doesn't steal as many bases as he used to. He just hits better now, so... Uh, yeah, I think one of the challenges about this list going forward is going to be that Mike Trout has such a large advantage over everybody else, <laughs> especially with his new contract. Like, his contract actually raised his trade value, which most extensions do not do. Um, it is going to be hard for anyone to pass him unless he gets hurt. Like, he might he might be number one on this list for the next decade. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, there you know, there are things that can happen to a player, but I guess sure. left, to, left to, given what would you say, like a normal injury uh in, in normal injury proneness he would continue to be the best he he has a 300 isolated slugging percentage right now he's basically turned himself into miguel cabrera at the plate i mean strikes out a little bit more but in terms of overall production he's miguel cabrera but also with everything else that mike trout does well right. so it's no longer like do you prefer offense or defense Trout has now all of the offense and all of the defense. <laughs> like, there's no one better at anything than him. Well, I mean, there are, you know, defensive specialists who are better at defense than him. But, like, there's no one who's like, oh, well, I think that your UZR is overrating him. That that argument's out the window. Now he's just destroying everyone offensively while also still being really good at everything else. So here's the thing, right? Uh, typically, the, the sort of uh, 50-50 threshold for um, – 
war war mark for Hall of Famers is what sixty to sixty five the way it's currently configured. Yeah, it's around there. Right. Uh, Zips projects Trout to end the season at uh, nine point six wins. Steamer says nine point two, which uh, either of which mark will put Trout right about at thirty after. Uh, three <laughs> seasons and a hundred plate appearances or something like that. Right. Well, the first hundred plate appearances were replacement level, so right. three years, three right. more. Yeah. And what that is, that means, I mean, a thing you could say, and you know, by virtue of a certain methodology, is that Mike Trout is halfway to the Hall of Fame, having completed his age twenty-two season. Yeah, I think. Uh, so I don't know. You probably missed it. So last week, uh, Jason Stark did a piece on ESPN about Trout and kind of comparing him to the best of all time. And in that, they asked Dan Zamorski to basically run Trout's career zips projections and like his 10% level, uh, and just kind of like a range of projections relative to Mike Trout. The mean value, the expected normal outcome, not like the best case scenario. Right. The mean outcome, 130 war. Oh my. Oh, that's so many of so many of them. <laughs> 130 war was the mean outcome. It gave him a 10% chance of of finishing with the highest war ever, passing Babe Ruth and Barry Bonds and everybody, and going down as the best player of all time. Wow, 10 percent uh, substantial. 10%, so much. Right, he's got a one in ten chance of finishing with more war than Babe Ruth. Yeah, that right. Well, if someone staggering, said, like if someone told me that there was like. Like if I got on the plane and someone told me there was a 10% chance it was going to crash, <laughs> you would get off. I would get off the plane because I would say that's that's too much. That's too much for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the chance I, that like Adam Wainwright could get a base hit is, right. is probably better than 10%. But it's but around you. Know, I mean, most pitchers. Yeah. They're probably around 10% something like that, and they get you see them get hit sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. There's wow. a uh, yeah. I, no, right. I it's we're running out of things to say right. to say. Mike Trout is awesome. And I think that's one of the challenges. I mean, so this trade value list in its, in its existence has essentially been, oh my god, Evan Longoria for five years. And right. now it's, oh my god, Mike Trout for some unknown number of years. Uh, you know, I'm glad people enjoy the list. I wish that eventually I could have a surprise. Right. It's, it's difficult. Um, yeah. Here's uh, number th- uh, So number two is Andrew McCutcheon, who yeah. is is... I guess really like he and Trout are similar in a number of ways, right? Except McCutcheon is older. Yeah, McCutcheon is Trout just worse at everything, right. which, you know, no shame in being worse than the best player in baseball. Right. But McCutcheon doesn't hit quite as well. and doesn't right. go for quite as much power and he doesn't play quite as good right. defense. And I mean, he's just, you know, Mike Trout light, which right. yeah, still awesome. Still really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and, and, uh, Paul Goldschmidt is third. And I guess, yeah. I guess, uh, no, I mean, obviously the, the, the logic is sound. Um, but I, and I think it's probably been true. And certainly when we're, when we're, uh, evaluating players and, and the way, certainly using the, the, the war structure, uh, you, you see that a first baseman has to hit a lot, uh, to produce the same sort of value that, you know, like, um, that, that, uh, you know, a, a, an above average offensive shortstop does. Right. And, uh, but I guess Goldschmidt's doing that. And, and I guess more surprisingly because, he wasn't uh, he wasn't really a top prospect at all. Yeah, I think it would go, I kind of when I was doing the list, I went back and read the old scouting reports on Paul Goldschmidt from when he was drafted, when he was in the minor leagues, and uh, it's amazing how different he is now. I mean, like across the board, it was he can't hit a pitch inside, he can't catch up to good fastballs, he strikes out too much, he's slow, he's not a good defender. Well, now Goldschmidt doesn't strike out that much. He kills pitches in the inner half. 
He actually is a very good baseman, and he steals more bases than almost any other first baseman in baseball. Like, it's almost like they're describing an entirely different player. Which, you know, players change, players develop, and certainly scouting isn't an exact science. But when you see this big of a miss, it reminds you just how hard it is to look at a, you know, 21-year-old even and say, this is what he's going to be in five years. Because so much can change, or uh, alternately, because the scouting kind of industry is based on essentially short looks at, um, you know, see a guy a couple of times, and if, you know, your your judgment can be thrown off uh, if you see him on the wrong days. And so I think, like, the, the way we scout is probably imperfect, and players change in ways that are unpredictable, which makes uh, putting a ceiling on a guy. I think Goldschmidt is one of the best examples of this. When someone says, what is this player's ceiling? We have no idea. <laughs> Every player's ceiling is apparently the best first baseman in baseball because Paul Goldschmidt was nothing. <laughs> he was an eighth-round pick that no one thought would be a major leaguer, and now he's better than everybody else at his position. Uh, right, and do I mean do we know do we, do we know do we have any actual like details as to how how that happened precisely? Because you know you look at his age. I mean, he got to the he got to the majors relatively quickly, and. Uh, without really much trouble, he was good at rookie ball, um, and then he was good at A plus, you know, high A. And then he was good at double A, and then he was good in the majors. Yeah, it, and it, you know, he never he never failed at all, um, which is, I think that's rare for a guy who's an eighth rounder out of you know Texas State, which is uh, uh, not a not a baseball powerhouse. Certainly, you know, it's not a it's not attracting um, the most scouts. Right. So I think the only thing I've kind of heard as an explanation is that Goldschmidt is a very studious uh, worker in that he puts in a ton of time with video and preparation and the mental side of of baseball. Um, And these are the kinds of things. Work ethic is basically impossible to scout. I mean, you can see how hard a guy hustles on the field, and you can make some uh, extrapolations from that, but you're still just guessing. I mean, unless you just follow a guy around and live with him 24-7, you're not going to know how much time he's putting in to try and improve versus just enjoy his life. It seems like from the reports, and this could certainly be post-hoc explanations, that Goldschmidt is a harder worker than most uh, and has kind of made himself into a better player than expected based on his um, willingness to put in the time and the hours in order to improve himself. Right. Okay. And then... um... It was a. Oh yeah. Well, here, well, here's another question altogether, I suppose. Um, is the question of how to evaluate prospects for the purposes of trade value? Yeah, not um, easy. Yeah, right. Because so I think you had you had Chris Bryant somewhere in the middle. I think uh, Chris Bryant was 29 and Gregory Polanco was 30, and Polanco might not be technically a prospect, but he's still basically a prospect. He's still basically a prospect. And then and then also Buxton appeared 38th. And of course Buxton appeared uh, recently. He was well Bryant was first on Hewlett's midseason list. Uh, Buxton was second. Buxton also appeared I think atop the uh, BA midseason list. And those if I'm not mistaken are the the three players. Well, of course, uh, Bryant and Buxton have yet to record uh, a major league play appearance and Polanco's only recorded, you know, a handful. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. So what's the? I guess so. What's the strategy for dealing with it? I mean, because we, well, I should we should also clarify. Um, I think you said you've gotten in trouble in the past for maybe imagining, for not necessarily always tying the list to how players are actually traded in real life, but by virtue of of speaking with people in the industry, you've gotten maybe a sense um, more closely of how they 
evaluate players. Um, so you that so I assume that this list is reflective of how teams what teams would actually be willing up to trade for these players. Well, I mean, it's an attempt at that, certainly. I mean, there's no way to know. And, uh, you know, I, I have some friends in the game who will give me interesting feedback, but I'm not going to be able to call every GM and be like, I'm going to read you 50 names, and I'd like you to rank them in order of which you'd like to trade for them, and then pull uh, all of those GMs. I mean, that, that didn't happen. So this is my opinion uh, based on some conversations with people in the game, uh, but also some calculations and some speculation. Um I think the tough thing with the younger guys is that they have vastly different levels of appeal to different franchises, right? So for the Astros or the Cubs, Chris Bryant might be top five, right? right or Gregory right. Polanco might be top three or something. Like They would put these guys almost at the very top of their board. And when people look at it, I think we generally think of trade value in terms of a contender and what a contender would pay. And we generally think of it in terms of like, okay, such and such a team is trading David Price or Jeff Samarzjo or Cliff Lee or whoever. What can get, they get back in return for those guys? But if we're talking about aggregate demand for the entire league, you have these rebuilding teams that are looking for young, cost-controlled bats uh, to build around as like their core franchise players, those guys are never moved. And they're never moved because they're insanely valuable. So if you take guys like Bryant and Polanco, you kind of take them out of the July trading season and take them out of the context in which we normally see a trade. I think if the Cubs put Chris Bryant up for auction tomorrow, the Astros and you know some other rebuilding teams, maybe the Twins, would go bananas to try and acquire Chris Bryant because guys like him are just never available. Right. And... So, I mean, was there, did you have a sense of how deep, I think, as I mentioned, you went probably too deep or including Polanco, maybe two and a half deep on the, you know, like the top prospect list. I mean, is that, is that what it's been in years, in years prior? Yeah, I think usually it's the top couple. I think, uh, you know, there was some, some feedback that I should have included Oscar Tavares, who I think is pretty overrated personally, and I think is, is not in this tier of guys who, uh, it would be, as coveted as a Bryant or even a Buxton. Um, but I think, you know, some years there might be a few more high-ceiling guys. This is not a great crop of prospects relative to some other years. Uh, but I do think that Bryant and Buxton uh, and Polanco kind of have the combination, well, at least Bryant and Polanco have enough present value that they would appeal to a large amount of teams who also right. uh, want to win in the future. And then, uh, you know, I think Buxton... The Mike Trout comparisons are absurd, and people should stop making them. But he's got a lot of upside. Right. And then, and and uh, with also with regard to the list, like you have a player like uh, Matt Harvey on it, for example, yeah. who is not going to play this year. Or if he is, right. I, you know, it'll be the last two weeks of September. Well, yeah, he won't pitch this year, and neither will Jose Fernandez, who's also on the list. Right. So I'm curious as to as to how this that challenges your methodology. Yeah, I mean, in those guys, I essentially just treat it as prospects. I mean, you, you're going to get no present value for trading for Matt Harvey, but given the rate of Tommy John surgery recovery, we should expect that Harvey will probably be fine for opening day next year. I think, you know, we can't expect that he's going to be the Matt Harvey of two years ago, uh, or last year, I guess. Uh, but I think overall, we should expect that Harvey will be an above-average major league pitcher. Uh, he'll probably have some restrictions. You wouldn't expect him to throw 230 innings next year, but maybe he'll give you 180 to 200 innings of quality pitching, and then he'll be under control for, you know, four years uh, at team control prices, and the, the injury is going to keep his counting stats down, which will keep his arbitration prices down. So, like if you said, hey, you know, next year I'm going to give you a pitching prospect. You're going to have him for four years at, you know, discounted prices, and he'll probably be one of the 25 best pitchers in baseball. 
there would be a very long line uh, signing up for that prospect. Right. Um, I, I've uh, I, the last couple of weeks, I've uh, we've we've decidedly gone over the thirty minute mark. So I was planning on uh, finishing early uh, today. Okay. So is this also because like Liberty is bringing the squeaky ball and you just can't handle it anymore? Well, it's uh, no, no, no. That's uh, it's great to be part of to be part of her her joy. She's she's <laughs> clearly celebrating life. She has actually just moved on to a bone now, so she will be well, slightly a quiet, quieter. That's a quieter yeah. thing. Uh, maybe br- briefly before we go, and of course this this will um, concern the idea of of trade trade value as well. Uh, you've written for today that the Royals. Should trade James Shields. I think. Wait, it's time for the Royals to trade James Shields. Sounds uh, very familiar to a uh, the title of a post which has appeared here, appeared in Fangraphs in the in recent weeks. Because I believe it was it was time for the Rockies to trade Troy Tulowitzki. Something yeah, like that. But Mike Petriello wrote that post. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's time for some teams to trade some players. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, and so uh, Shields is on the list. Tulowitzki is on the list. If you were to do like uh, I don't know, like top five players that need to be traded, uh, where, where, what would that look like? Well, I mean, you're basically looking at like everyone on the Phillies, right? So like Cliff Lee absolutely should be traded. The problem is he's been hurt, so they're gonna have to wait at, probably until August until he makes a few starts. He's got the kind of contract where they'll still be able to get him through some of the waivers. And maybe make an August deal. If he pitches really well in his next two starts, they might be able to trade him before the deadline. But I think uh, Cliff Lee at the very top of the list, and all basically all the expensive Phillies guys. Uh, you know, I think you could make an argument for Marlon Bird and um, Jonathan Papelbon and all those guys. The Phillies should clean house and start over. Um, I think beyond that. The teams that are selling this year are not very good. I <laughs> think like one of the issues is like, well, I can have you can have your pick of any Astro. Well, they're all terrible. Except for George Springer and Jose Altuve, but they're not going anywhere. You can have your pick of any White Sox, except for the good ones. <laughs> like, you know, like they got the teams who are selling, uh, like the Diamondbacks. They're not selling Paul Goldschmidt. They're selling maybe Addison Reed, uh, and maybe not even him. Like they sold Joe Thatcher so far. Uh, you know, there's just not a lot of interesting talent that's going to be available this. And they sold. They, well, they got rid of Brandon McCarthy too. Uh, correct. They right. did trade Brandon McCarthy. So um, right, but I mean, I think like. You're not gonna get premium players outside of David Price, who's the, you know the big name on the market. Uh, if the mar- and that's one of the reasons I think the Royals should enter the market and try and trade James Shields is there's a void after Price. Now that Smart's just been traded, the gap between the best pitcher on the market and the next best pitcher on the market is staggering. And I think for a team like the Phillies with Hamels or or with the Royals with Shields could really take advantage of the fact that there is no David Price alternative that's you know. Even good. Uh, there's some okay innings leaders or something, but no one you're going to want to throw at the first couple games of a playoff series. You could probably convince uh, the Dodgers or Cardinals or Mariners, one of these teams that's looking for a starting pitcher, uh, to to overpay and make a bad trade because there's nothing else available. And who are the? Yeah, sorry. Who who are the sort of uh, likely suitors for a player along those lines? Well, I think the three teams reportedly interested, the most interested in price are the Dodgers, Cardinals, and Mariners. Uh, all three could use a pitcher. All three have farm systems that could swing some kind of trade, depending on what they're willing to give up. Uh, and then I think, you know, if you're the Blue Jays or the Orioles, you're probably interested in Shields because you're not going to be able to get a shot at price or probably not going to be able to get a shot at price. So Shields would bring in uh, some of these teams that are, Maybe more rent a veteran types rather than, you know, give up the entire farm to get two years of, of one of the best pitchers in baseball. Right. And what, uh, what are we saying for, what is a, what's a Shields contract situation currently? He's a free agent at the end of the year. Okay. Uh, and then obviously anyone who trades for him now will not be able to make him a qualifying offer. So the Royals would need to get 
much more than whatever they could get with a draft pick next summer. So, I mean, I think from the Royals' perspective, they're probably looking at wanting two top 100 prospects or something in that range, or maybe one top 50 guy and then some filler. I think that, you know, they're not going to get Addison Russell back, but they are gonna, they're going to want some real talent. And I think James Shields is the kind of guy that if you're a team like the Orioles or the Blue Jays or, you know, one of these teams has a chance to win your division, um, you know, maybe it's worth paying that tax. Right. Okay. Hey, uh, great job this week, Dave Cameron. Thanks. Well done. Appreciate it. Good a job man, buying a car. A man among men. I don't know. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Dave Cameron. Hey, you're welcome. That is Managing Editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.